When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Boston Loose Baseball Episode 10, second episode of the week. Steven Strasburg made his start against the Miami Marlins. We've got some thoughts. Plus, we're looking ahead to the rest of Strauss' season and the future of this seven-year contract. And we're diving into all things going on at the big league level for the Nationals. Plus, we've got a superlative before we get out of here on episode 10. You're also going to hear from the voice of the Nationals, Dave Jagler, and outfielder Lane Thomas, our guest today on Bustin' Loose Baseball. Thanks for making the Nats part of your week. Thanks for making this podcast part of what you listen to. Let's get after it. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball, Garrett Stammer on the production. Grant Paulson, Danny Ruye. we got to start with Steven Strasburg before we get into everything else going on with the Nationals. You'll hear our interview with Lane Thomas. You'll hear our conversation with Dave Jagler. But we just watched Strass' start last night against the Marlins. The line was not good. No. The performance actually, I think, was a lot better than the box score. Four and two-third innings, eight hits and seven runs all earned, two walks and five strikeouts, and he gave up a home run. 83 pitches didn't get out of the fifth. Now, there was a three-inning stretch there where he was at about 60 pitches through four innings, averaging about 15 per, where in the second, third, and fourth innings, he hung three zeros and he was straight up overpowering. I thought the three runs he gave up in the first were largely unlucky. First pitch of the game was a bunt single that was could have been rolled better. Out. Yeah, you, you tip your cap. Good, good play. Yeah. Absolutely. A couple of weak contact shots that fall in, and next thing you know, You've given up three runs. There was one blasted kind of barreled ball into center field to score a couple of those runs. But I, I thought, by and large, that after that first inning, he threw the ball way better than being down 3 nothing. Then the second, third, and fourth gave me a lot of, of confidence and, and, and hope uh, before he ran out of gas and really got hit around in the fifth for four runs. There's a lot to dive into. The velocity was certainly not what we were hoping for, uh, but the changeup was nasty. He got some swings and misses on the breaking stuff. The problem to me, really twofold, I guess, was, let's start with the fastball. It didn't fool anybody. It wasn't getting swings and misses. It didn't look like it had life. Yeah, it wasn't jumping out of his hand. I, I, I can see, This is almost like a the intensity is ramped up, even though there are tens of people down there at, at that Marlins ballpark, and it's hard to sort of produce your energy. But this, to me, was like that first rehab start again. Again, I, I didn't get eyeballs on that. You were there uh, um, along with uh, with a buddy, and you, you saw how he was doing it. But this, to me, was a, I just don't want to get hurt. I want to get through this, and then we could start to ramp up the intensity a little bit, which you saw the second time through the order. I, I think the fastball velocity is going to tick up. Average 90.5 last night. I think that's going to get into the 92 range in, in future starts, and, and maybe we'll see it kind of grow from there. This, to me, looked like, let's get through this. Let's now, these are milestones. And, and, and I'm with you. I was more encouraged, maybe, than, than the line would indicate. I know a lot of people are going to hear this and go, what are you talking about? It gave up seven runs and four and two-thirds and ran out of gas. I look at the good moments because Steven Strasburg, when he's right, has more good moments, and I want to see him do that. Right, that when he struck out the side there in the second, I think that shows that he's still got some of those things. He's not going to be 97, 98 anymore. I don't think that's in the tank, but that changeup is still nasty. That curveball can still be good when he's on top of it. Get that nice little downward spike, and then you pitch the fastball off of that instead of everything being off the fastball. I think that's kind of what I wanted to see last night. I wanted to see, does it, will there be some stuff that plays at this level? I think you're 100% right. He ran out of gas. There was that one barreled home run ball, fastball down in the zone to a guy that is just nasty on pitches down in the zone. That's that's where his wheelhouse is. I was actually pretty encouraged last night. I know that's going to sound weird maybe to some folks, and maybe it's Pollyannish, but I liked some of the things that I saw because you mentioned it. It wasn't a bunch of sharp contact in the first. It was a bunt hit, seeing eye, ground ball for a double, and yeah, you know, one-barreled base hit certainly. But that's going to happen. But overall, I was actually pretty encouraged. Yeah, you go back through it. Are you throwing gopher balls in the middle of the plate? 
are you getting rocked? And, and I didn't think that was the case, certainly early in the game. I mean, he could have easily been through four innings scoreless and having been into the fifth, you know, at right around 70 pitches or something, and it would have looked very different. Obviously, the fifth inning in and of itself was a bit of an issue, but he ran out of some gas, and it was your first start back in over a year. It is amazing, though, how now it's, it is time to reinvent himself again, probably. Yeah. In that, like, there were 92 pitches thrown last night in that game with firmer fastball velocity than anything Steven Strasburg threw. When he came up, he was throwing 100 miles an hour. Uh-huh. And now he peaked last night at 92.4. Now, it's important to note, these are all kind of sinkers. I would assume that's a two-seam pitch he's throwing, right? That's not a... I mean, I don't think he's throwing like a four-seamer top of the zone with heavy spin that you're trying to get swings and misses on. You know, they refer to these analytically as sinkers, right? This is a two-seam pitch he's throwing, would you say? It's It was tough to tell. I mean, the way, the way that camera angle just happens to be in in um, in Miami, he's ne- hasn't really thrown a ton of that two-seam, th- think of that Tanner Roark kind of arm side run yeah, type pitch. Is- but but so is it a four seam sinker? Uh, to me, it's a it's a looks like a sort of a regular four seam fastball because he's so over the top. And yeah. he, when it's right, he gets that carry, he gets that jump. Right? Think of um a guy does it great right now is Garrett Cole when he pitches at the top of the of, of the zone platform. But I guess my point is Garrett Cole's throwing ninety seven to ninety nine. Exactly. Steven Strasburg, if ninety two with sink, you know they were saying he's mm-hmm. throwing his sinker. I think of a four seamer as kind of being different than a it, sinker. It is correct. So your four seamer, you're basically releasing off the edge of your fingertips, and you're trying to get as much backspin as possible. And that's you know someone like Sean Doolittle that's got a great spin rate. Ninety two plays like ninety nine. And when Strasburg is right, that mid nineties fastball can play even harder because he's got such a big frame and he's got such an easy delivery in, in some ways. In terms of he's not jumping at you with his body, and he gets that carry. That two seamer is you're getting it to ride down and ride in. It's thrown with some pressure, usually on the outside of the middle finger, if you can picture it, and it's going to dive in to a righty in a way, kind of fade away from a left-handed bat. So, according to Baseball Savant, they say he threw 23 four-seam fastballs and 19 sinkers. They're quantifying it as two essentially different. Interesting. Pitches. Now, I find that interesting because the velocities are essentially the same. And, you know, a lot of the metrics on the pitches are really comparable. So I don't know that I necessarily believe what they're calling it, in other words. Because he hasn't really been a sinker guy in the past. No, he's not. It's mostly been a four-seam fastball. Um, So that's something maybe we can clarify. But just as an example, uh, the pitch velocity on the four-seamer, they've got at 90.3. On the sinker, they've got at 90.4. I think it was probably the same pitch and whatever their algorithm is for movement or spin or whatever. Sure. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe it was two different variations he was throwing. He threw a lot of curveballs, uh, 22 of them, and 19 change-ups. Now, we talk a lot about Josiah Gray not being able or not wanting to throw his change-up. Well, Steven Strasburg threw about a quarter of his pitches as change-up. So listen to this breakdown. And again, we're talking about a, a variation of what he used to be and you know, how different this could be now. they say four-seamers, 23% sinkers. So if you're talking about just fastballs, right around uh, 50%. And then he's got 27% curveballs, 23% change-ups. Best pitch for him, I thought, was his change-up. Change-up. Three swings and misses. About 38% of swings were swings and misses for him. Curveball was his second-best pitch, followed by... The fastball. I think that's the way of the world now, GP. I I think that's how it's going to be. Even as his velocity comes back that changeup and that curveball are going to be where he gets his outs. And, and I think it's now got to be, you used to have to with him, you've got to gear up for that fastball. And that made you susceptible to the other pitches, right? Because if, if someone's throwing upper 90s, not, if your average fastball velocity, which it was early in his career, is in the mid-upper 90s, 96, he's, he's had a, you know weeks and months when it's hot out where he's you know, 97, 98 miles an hour, you have to gear up for that. You simply have to. And the deception with the changeup gets guys out in front, and and that curveball—it's a different look. It raises your eye line, and it looks like it's going to be another fastball high, and it snaps down into the zone, or you start guessing one way or the other. Now I think he's got to pitch off those off-speed pitches where those are established. You can throw those for strikes. You get the deception there, and then all of a sudden, as he got that one strike, I think it was of Sanchez of a ninety-mile-an-hour fastball up in the zone. That's ninety is now playing much harder because of the fear of that changeup, because of the fear of that breaking ball. 
So your 90 now is sneaky fast, and it's got to be because guys have seen enough of those breaking balls, seen enough of those change-ups. You sacrifice a little bit of the out pitch of those effectiveness of those last two pitches, which are great putaways when you've got two strikes, and it becomes now this kind of true pitch mix. You become almost, I don't want to call him crafty just yet, but he's working on that. I think that's where he's going to be. I feel like the start was a big step and a positive overall. A to F grade, I'm going to give it a B, honestly. And I know that sounds insane. I know. It's not that I didn't care at all about the results. First and foremost, I think the results are a little bit misleading. But I care a lot less about the results than that he is able to go again in five days. So I'll say B. If you want to give it a B minus, I got no problem with that. I would, I'd say B minus probably. Um, I, th- I wish he'd thrown that changeup in the first inning. Uh, he held it until the second inning, uh, going through the, towards the back of the order. I'm not sure what the scouting report was or why they did that, but once he started throwing it, he really threw it and, and got guys off him for those middle three innings. To me, it's about health. It's about bouncing back, and it's about showing that higher ceiling. Now we start to add some strength, and it gets more consistent. So we wanted to break down the start, so we recorded this for you after he pitched, time capsule style. We're going to throw to ourselves in the past. Whoa. Because we were talking about Strasburg and the Nats. We recorded the rest of the pod before he started, so here's the rest of your pod. All right, so enough about one outing. Let's talk about the future and the rest of this season and beyond for Steven Strasburg. Danny, as we mentioned, there is probably no game. There is probably nothing more important than the Strasburg starts, those games, the rest of this season, starting with yesterday against the Marlins. But whether or not he returns to form is going to largely determine the future of this organization. I I hate to be overstated, but if he's great, they have a chance to compete. If he's not, they've got a noose around their neck and an albatross of a contract that they can't get out of and the the problematic contract of Patrick Corbin making up 40% of their rotation, and you're probably a couple years away from really being able to spend on pitching. I I don't mean to be hyperbolic, but I I think this is the next five years. the direction that Steven Strasburg goes, and and to me, the performance is 1A next to his health and availability. He's been available for 26 innings in two years. There's, there's no team that can overcome that. $35 million in payroll and have a guy that's only pitched 26 innings in two calendar years. I know 2020 was shortened, but he was shortened even more because of injury. If he's available every fifth day, for the most part, normal pitcher wear and tear happens. Not everybody makes their 33 or 34 starts. You get nicked up, you, you tweak this, your, your muscles sore here. I'm talking about the big stuff. I'm talking about 60-day IL trips. I'm talking about surgery and months of no reports when he's down at extended spring training, throwing to ghosts. Him being available and then him being close to what he was at some point for the next consistently over the next handful of years gives them a chance. You can't, I don't think any organization, maybe the Dodgers, maybe the Yankees could outspend it if they just went into the luxury tax and just took it as a big L. But a regular organization, it's really hard to overcome. This year, half their payroll pretty much is is, is Patrick Corbin and Steven Strasburg. If those guys aren't excellent, you're not winning. And they're probably not going to win anyway. But you, you see where I'm going. Next year, kind of the same deal. And Patrick Corbin, in 2024, his salary cap hit, I know it's not a cap, but just use of easy, easy language, jumps to $35 million. Strasburg's is $35 million as well. $70 million between, as you said, 40% of your rotation, you have to be good. You just have to be. This matters more than anything else they do as it relates to the team being good, as it maybe relates to Juan Soto by extension, as it relates to free agents wanting to come here and have a chance to win. You don't get the Howie Kendricks of the world. You don't get the you know the Daniel Murphys. You don't get guys that have been instrumental in, in their run over the years without being a pretty good juggernaut, without being a 90-win-plus team. You entice veterans who want to win one last chance. You invite uh, and entice guys that, you know, if they're picking between two similar offers, well, I'll go to this place where they're going to win a bunch of games. You're not getting that unless Steven Strasburg is good and available. Well, pull the scope back a little bit even, Danny. I mean, I was talking about uh, the rotation moving forward with uh, our buddy Jeremy who runs Walters by Nats Park. And uh, we were just kind of chopping it up. I was eating some chicken wings a few days ago. And he said something along the lines of, like, what if Strauss is really good? And and we started looking at the rotation and kind of the two ways this could go. Mm -hmm. Hypothetically, right, this is best case scenario. Strasburg comes back, he stays healthy, and he's nails again. He's something close to what he was when he was a top 10 pitcher in the National League before these injuries, right? Patrick Corbin 
who has turned somewhat of a corner. I mean, he is no longer the worst pitcher in the National League. He's not particularly great. He might lose 20 games. He's got an ERA closer to six than four. But while he's got the highest earned run average now among active starters in the big leagues and all those losses I mentioned, he is pitching better than he did the last couple of years, and he's kind of throwing like a back-of-the-rotation starter especially in that he eats innings and he pitches every five days and he's pretty durable and and he can gobble up some frames for you. So if Corbin is this and Mm -hmm. not the last two years where he was the worst pitcher in the sport and Strasburg is really good and I'm continuing now this positive hypothetical of Josiah Gray, who just threw five shutout in Miami, Mm -hmm. continues to do what he's doing where he looks like a mid-rotation type starter, maybe a number three kind of starter. Let's say, continuing the theme here, Kate Cavalli graduates, who's been Awesome in AAA in his last three outings. He's got seven innings pitched in his last two starts, and he punched out ten last time out. Cavalli comes up, and he looks the part. Not the early Lucas Giolito, what's going on with his stuff. He's getting hit around. But the immediate, this guy is a major league number two type profile. Mm -hmm. You can start to dream on this rotation a little bit. Strauss as your one, Cavalli and Gray two and three or what have you. Cole Henry in this very positive hypothetical doesn't ever need anything to to be operated on. Arm, elbow, shoulder, everything continues to not bark. He just keeps hanging zeros. That's a guy that looks like he could be a number two, number three type starter. So that's the path to if this happens, and I know that's a lot of ifs. Strauss, the kids, Corbin, you have a competitive big league rotation where you add one starting pitcher maybe, a little bit of depth next year. There's no reason with a little bit of money you can't spend on a couple of bats, corner infield, corner outfield, to drive in runs and be in the mid-80s, upper-80s, and wins again, competing in this league with the expanded playoffs for a postseason spot. I, I rubber stamp that. But here's the flip side, mm-hmm. just to carry out the exercise. Strauss comes back and either doesn't stay healthy or isn't the same. Corbin continues to undulate between what he is right now and what he was the last couple of years, which happens, right? Every now and then he has one of those starts where you go, oh my God, this is... He's never going to turn the corner. Cavalli is, for whatever reason, you know, not as quick to develop at the major league level as you'd like. Uh, someone like Henry does end up needing time away or isn't healthy. Like all of a sudden, your rotation is in shambles. I mean, your plan for the next couple of years is detonated. It's blown up, and you are bad for two or three years. So when I say the Strasburg is the linchpin to the whole thing, I mean that because the rotation to me is the linchpin to the whole thing. Again, I rubber stamp everything you just said. The and there's always, you know, listen, it's pro sports, it's baseball, best laid plans, right? It, and and you know, you, you have all these grand designs of here's what a rotation is going to look like. Somebody, you know, uh, sleeps wrong on a team bus in in Florida and needs shoulder surgery, which happened to a teammate of mine, by the way, who never picked up a baseball again. I mean, a million things can go wrong. You can you can deal with one or two things, right? Let's say one of the guys you mentioned, guy that we've had on this uh, on this podcast, Cole Henry. Who's got stuff for days and has been just just absolute nails in the minor leagues? Let's say just it, made his first AAA start, gave up a few hits and no runs in five innings. He just doesn't give up runs, which is kind of one of the points of pitching. I think. Let's say it doesn't work for him because of injury or whatever. Right? I'm not wishing anything upon the guy, but that that happens. How many times have we done the Doug Fister, Anibal Sanchez, Dan Heron? We'll just throw you know ten million bucks, eleven million bucks as you know. Then as the the cost will continue to go up, of course, for short term deals for back end of the rotation starters, you can have a pretty good rotation if you get a seventy five percent shooting percentage, a sixty percent shooting percentage on, on guys that you're counting on, as long as you've got some supplemental things that have taken place in the draft and you get better development than they've had, frankly, over the last several years. We've talked about this a bunch. The big gaping hole for an organization that prides itself on starting pitching because it's the best way to be consistently competitive, they haven't really graduated a starting pitcher that they've drafted, developed to come up through their system that's really helped them. Eric Fetty's been in the show. They've had guys that you know have pitched, but it's not to the degree that Steven Strasburg was, and that's really the last two. George Zimmerman, Steven Strasburg through the organization. That's essential over these next couple of years. To, there's got to be a guy that you and I haven't even heard of yet. Well, you probably have, because that's your entire life is, is prospects. There's some 15-year-old right now throwing 82 in, in, in West Texas that you've got your eyeball on. But to the regular layperson, someone we don't even know about yet has to come up and develop. Has You have to supplement that way. The guys that would have done that, they used as trade pieces. Rightfully so, by the way. I don't begrudge any of those moves. The, the Pavettas, the Lazardos, all those dudes help you win a World Series and help you maintain that competitive window. But now as you're building, some of those guys have to supplement. That's a long way for me to say, 
you can have a few missteps. You can have a few hiccups. You can have a couple guys maybe not work out maybe according to plan because you have to keep supplementing with numbers. I just can't escape this one thing. You can't do any of that. None of what you do matters if Strauss doesn't work. Like, I, I just, I, I, and I hate that it comes back to that. I hate that it's that hyperbolic. It sounds like I'm just, you know, doomsday prepping well, over here and you, screaming. You wouldn't but, be saying that. I don't think people would feel that way, Danny, if the contract wasn't tied to him. And that's what it, it is. is. Like, if, if there was no contract or he was just like a pending free agent and he's coming back, the point isn't that you couldn't move forward without him. But you have four more years at a rate that you don't really pay anybody else. He's the guy that you chose to pay. You didn't want to pay Rendon. You didn't want to pay Harper. You don't aren't going to pay Soto probably you paid that guy and so you have to get production out of that guy when you are now bottom 10 or so in the mm-hmm. league in payroll and you've invested the biggest nut that you have the, the lump sum basically yep. into Steven Strasburg all right some other guys to talk about really quickly here rapid fire Carl Edwards Jr. is having a really good season without getting a whole lot of fanfare his ERA after a scoreless appearance against the Marlins on Wednesday night is now 1.65. He struck out a couple of batters in an inning and a third. He's up to a batter per inning now. 14 appearances. You look back on his most recent outing, 96 miles an hour he touched. This is the best he's been since 2018 in Chicago. This is a guy that had kind of bounced around and was out of the big leagues at one point last year. You see some like sixes and sevens Mm. among his ERAs recently. I don't think it's sustainable that he'll have an ERA in the ones. However, the stuff is actually pretty good. Fastball, breaking ball, touching 96, and he's got a good resume. This is a guy who's pitched in big games, uh, vying for the postseason, and then into the playoffs, he's thrown in the World Series. Could be a trade chip. And again, you're not going to get a ton for a guy like this who's a you know, lower leverage, like seventh inning, sixth inning type, inning at a time reliever. But what I'm looking for is anyone who another team might give up a minor league player or two for, and the better he pitches – as if his ERA could creep down to a little over one, and all of a sudden his K rate gets up to ten per nine, you know, an analytics-driven team is going to start looking into some of this stuff and say, "Let's let's take a flyer on that guy." Yeah, he's only thirty. He's like a, a plumly at Duke. It feels like he's been around for decades, you know. But uh, he found it. I mean, we've talked to Mike Rizzo enough times to know, and I'd say for me, I've kind of adopted honestly his philosophy on relief pitching to a degree. Now there's certain guys that kind of transcend that, right? Josh Hader is. Excellent and awesome and worth every penny. That dude is just absolutely nails. But for the most part, guys kind of fluctuate. Guys, you know, get relied upon for a while. They get up, you know, they, they pitch in 60-some games, and they get up probably another 25 or 30 times, and all of a sudden their window shortens, right? So it happens where, where guys are inconsistent. It probably took Edwards a, a year, maybe two, to sort of rediscover some things, and he probably went to the lab and kind of, you know, found his release point on this, that, and the other, and was probably having some bad habits he didn't even know about. But what a pleasant surprise. I mean, these are the kinds of things that – good organizations are able to uncover that I, I always try to give nat- the Nationals credit for. I mean, sometimes it, it doesn't work like Trevor Rosenthal. Didn't work out. That didn't work. He was here, couldn't throw strikes. Well, the following year, he, he threw pretty well. They were on to something. It just they didn't connect the dots. Right. Well, a low-risk, high-upside type move where, you know, minor league, non-roster invitee or whatever the heck he was to spring training, and he's pitching out of AAA, works his way up to the big leagues, kind of, as you said, getting higher and higher leverage innings from a guy that, as you said, was doing late-inning stuff for a World Series team. Um, a, a, a nice find for this group, but a, and as you said, someone that we hadn't really considered as a potential trade chip because, to me, again, anything not bolted down that could help a competitive team, let's go. Uh, speaking of not bolted down and possibly being able to help a competitive team, I said it last podcast I wanted to talk about Tanner Rainey. Here is my case as to why I would trade Rainey, because I've gotten a lot of pushback from Nats fans about this. A, I think relievers are volatile. So almost always, if I am discussed, a yeah. non-contending team, I am going to move a reliever for someone who's not a reliever, who's younger and has a little bit of upside. Now, that's not a rule. I don't really have rules. I mean, there are exceptions, obviously, but that's just my general philosophy the other question would be okay what is he he's under contract for a couple years like what is he over those next couple years rainy to me is not a closer when you're a first division team i don't trust him protecting a one-run lead necessarily i don't think he's a dominant back-end arm i think he's a nice piece in a bullpen ideally i'd like him to be kind of like my you know maybe my third best guy i was gonna say my seventh inning arm on the astros yeah you know if i'm lights out nails 97 wins going to the playoffs i want a shutdown closer josh Hader. 
I want a dominant eighth inning arm. I mean, there's 30 guys like that in the big leagues. And then maybe Rainey is my right-on-right right guy in the seventh or something like that. So I have no delusions that you're going to get something incredible for Rainey, who's 29 years old. But he is good. And it's yeah. the reason why I think Nats fans want to keep him. And he's also back in a way. He touched 99 recently. His velocity's come all the way back. Like, there's a lot to like about this player, and you can easily say and make the case and be right that when they're good in a year or two, if that's the case, he will still be here. Those are not the guys you should be trading. Agreed. But there is a, a list of guys that are building blocks. Josiah Gray and Kbert Ruiz and Luis Garcia. And to me, Rainey, because of his position, most notably, mm -hmm. but also because I just think there's an undulation to him. He's up, he's down, he's a little inconsistent. I'm not putting him on that list. So I'm not trading him for nothing. Like if someone's willing to give me a bag of balls or a granola bar, okay, I'll keep him. But if, if I can get a double-A infielder that I think has a chance to be a big leaguer, if I could get you know the, the, the 13th best prospect in someone's loaded system that in my system might end up being a fourth outfielder a year or two from now, like that's interesting to me. Uh, he's got some really, really good analytical mm -hmm. uh, like percentile stuff. Uh, with percentage, 91st, chase rate, 85th, fastball velocity, 89th, fastball spin rate, 90th. I mean, there are teams that are going to salivate about the possibility of bringing him in. I think you could move him and get something, and I would be willing to do that. So average fastball velocity has been pretty consistent over the last you know three seasons, down from 97.8, which was 2019, where he was just throwing absolute cheddar. But he's been in the 96.4, 96.4, 96.6 last three years, respectively. Slider velocity has been there, too. I would wager, I, I haven't seen this, maybe you have somewhere, but I bet you there's a better spin rate going on. Because the, the 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 hitter, I always say this for pitchers, the hitters tell the story. His exit velocity has dropped four miles an hour over the last couple of years. So remember the, the 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 blown save just the other night there in in Miami, a bloop and a you know three hop ground ball that hit second base. That's that's not bad pitching. Maybe bad pitch selection. Maybe you got a guy chasing a couple of your wicked sliders and you throw him a cookie fastball. But I digress. But. Exit velocity has dropped four miles an hour. That, to me, is a stunning turn of events. Like, that tells you the stuff is playing better. So I, um, I remember years ago speaking to a guy who's actually no longer baseball but helped build a couple of those really good Diamondback teams. Feels like a distant memory now. But helped build uh, this Braves dynasty, of course, culminating in, the, in, in their World Series last year. Found a bunch of uh, their, their young guys that kind of stepped in and some of the competitive stuff. And I was asking him sometimes about how velocity plays. I mean, you know, the... We all played the game to, to some degree, and he referred to some guys with fastballs that operate as a true 96 versus a, a kind of an explosive 96. So think of Sean Doolittle. Sean Doolittle has a fastball in the low 90s when, he, when he's healthy and when he's right. But guys don't square it up all that often. Guys are treating it like it's 100 miles an hour. Why? It's just kind of the, the way that it looks. It's the deception element of, of how it comes out of your hand. When Mariano Rivera first came up, before he developed that devastating cutter, he was really just throwing fastballs. And it looked like he was just playing catch, but the damn thing would explode on you. So his 94 played up uh, even more so when he was setting up for John Wetland. You look at Tanner Rainey, throwing 96, he was doing that when he was getting hit around. He was still throwing hard, but it didn't play the right way. And again, it's about mechanics and delivery and, and a couple things to add some of that deception. It's clearly working. I, I couldn't believe that when I was looking him up, uh, that, his, that his average exit velocity is the lowest it's been in his whole career this year, and it's down almost about four miles an hour over years past. That, to me, is just it, telling you the story right there about how effective he's been. Yeah, totally. And percentiles aren't dramatically different, but they, he's better a little bit. Uh, fastball spin rate 90th percentile has been around 85, 86, 88 previously, so there's certainly some improvement there. Uh, but if he's here, I'm not upset. It's a right. good pitcher, and hopefully they've got a closer and a setup man and Tanner Rainey, and you put together the best bullpen possible. Yeah, you don't just do it to do it, to your point. But the other thing I would say is I think I, I feel like I can build a bullpen. You know, And that's easy to say sometimes, and sometimes you get that wrong, but you can always trade when you're good your double-A guy for a reliever. You can always add Dan Hudson, Ryan Madsen, Sean Doolittle. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. Like Those dudes are readily available from the bad teams at the deadline. You can also just throw money at that problem. You can pay those guys. Yeah, it costs a ton for a Roldis Chapman or Josh Hader or, or some of the best relievers in the game, but if, if you just want to go sign a guy like Tanner Rainey in free agency, it really doesn't cost that much. You give me $15 bucks, I can put together with a couple of smart guys from my R&D department 
you know, a three or four reliever group to come in to save your bullpen for next year. They won 98 games with the plan and most of the season in 2012 with an old Brad Lidge and Henry Rodriguez as co-closer. You could put a, you could put together a bullpen. Rizzo's yeah, taught us that. I think so too. All right, I just want to tell someone real quick to kick rocks. I just while we were talking got a trade request in my dynasty fantasy baseball league. All right, let, let's hear it. While nobody cares about my fantasy baseball now, don't team. say who's who. Okay, right? Like you know, I mean, just let us just tell us what's what the offer is. Trade offer. One of these teams has Juan Soto. Okay, and the person is offering Jared Walsh and Tony Gonsolin for him in a keeper dynasty league. Now, Walsh is having a fantastic year. He is. Gonsolin's a pretty effective starter, probably help you with some of the ratios. Hmm, that's really interesting. And the other team has Juan Soto. So let me try to balance that. One of those teams, I'm not going to say which one, should tell the other one, here's a really, really, really short area before a cliff. Walk a 1,000 paces. Can you believe that? Yes, I can. This guy offered me Jared Walsh and Tony Gonsolin for Juan Soto. Like, I'm sitting here panicking going, man, this Soto guy, I've never heard of him, but he's just terrible. He's hitting 225. Kick every rock. And then the same person offered me Corbin Burns for Aaron Judge. Now, that is not nearly as bad. That's not egregious. It depends on what you need. Basically the best fantasy pitcher for maybe the guy this year that's having the best offensive season. I don't really believe in starting pitchers in fantasy anyway. I Like, my team, my ace of my staff right now, is probably well, Nestor Cortez. We picked up on the waiver wire has been great. But like, are you a streaming stand? Totally out of the draft. My number one starter was Tarek Skubal from the Detroit Tigers. I get size for his ratios. Yeah, he's been awesome, and it, my philosophy's worked out. But the the guy I co-managed the team with has a similar opinion, which is we go with like ten relievers. We get our innings by having like two starts made by him. I think we've got uh, maybe uh, the other Luis Garcia. Uh, Nestor Cortez. No one cares about my team. The point is, I don't care about starting pitching enough to give you uh, an elite bat for it. And if you run a fantasy team, you should never trade your best hitter for somebody's best pitcher. Unless it's the end of the year and you're just desperate for pitching categories. Yeah, unless you got yeah, unless you have some sort of dire need at pitching and you've got a glut of hitting. Like right. if you have if you have a guy that's like, I don't know, like a, a stud that you would obviously play him every day, but you've got another stud in waiting. Like it's not you're not replacing Aaron Judge, but if you have an outfield like if you have Tasker Hernandez, you know who's like waiting in the wings. You're better with Hernandez and and uh, Corbin Burns than you are with just Aaron Judge. He's Danny. I'm Grant. This is busting loose baseball. I guess it's not busting. I dropped the G in there. It's busting. Busting. Busting loose baseball. And it's not bussin', which is the kids say. My son says that yeah. now about about good food. But the show's bussin'. I think so. It's I like bu- to think so. Is, you know what? We should change the name. Bussin. Can, you, can you get the imaging people, Darius, on this? This show, it, Bussin. It's Bussin Loose Baseball. You don't even need subject uh, verb agreement. Lane Thomas, Nats outfielder, going to be with us just a few right here on this podcast. But right now, our conversation with Dave Jagler on Steven Strasburg returning and the Nationals State of the Union. Long gone! You hear him nightly here on 106.7 The Fan on your flagship station for baseball in D.C., the great Dave Jagler. Jags, a Merry Strasmus to you, sir. Merry Strasmus to you. Quantify just how important the future of the Strasburg performance and contract is. I mean, he is under contract for four years beyond this one. Him being good, what does that mean to this rebuild as opposed to if he's not? Well, it's it's huge simply because this organization has always allocated its big resources to starting pitching. And right now, your two you know, biggest contracts locked up right now are the starting pitchers. Unfortunately, Patrick Corbin is in his third consecutive subpar season and has two more years to go. So you don't know if he's ever going to recapture the form to, to 2019. <clears throat> At this point, you're kind of hoping best-case scenario, he can be a back-end starter innings eater. But Strasburg, you don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's been almost three years, you know, a little less than three years since he was at the top of the sport. Uh, so time has passed. But if he can somehow not even get to that level, but be a, a serviceable, you know, top end starting pitcher, uh, then that is that is a huge uplift to the organization. Knowing that the, the guys you have coming along in the minor leagues, if a couple of these guys hit, Dave uh, Cavalli, Cole Henry, you know, Gray is already here. We've seen it done. There have been flashes of good. Obviously, he needs some more time in the oven. He's not a finished product. Uh, if you can have a couple of those guys hit. Uh, then with Strasburg at the top of the rotation, you have the makings of a rotation that can be pitching for a contending ball club. Dave Jagger with us here on G&D. Steven Strasburg, long-awaited season debut. I, 
I, I guess that the, I just was thinking about what you said. Obviously, the path forward, it's much easier if he's there. Now, I don't know if we ever get the same Patrick Corbin that we got a few years ago, and I'm sure there are a million reasons why that we could spend hours discussing, but it's really about you know salary allocation, and, and you're not going to replace Steven Strasburg, right? You just have to have it work out. And in the history of this injury, as you said, Jags, Jags there's, there's not that much precedent for it, for it going particularly well. What do you think the Nats have done differently to try to counter that? I remember they were so careful with him. The baseball world was was aghast and a, and a gape when they shut him down in 2012, even though that was their best medical practice that they had at the time. I'm sure they applied some of the same logic here. What do you think they've done differently to try to counteract the bad precedent? Well, I, I think it's, it's simply been time. I mean, I think you know, we saw Strasburg, you know, we were down there in March for spring training, and he was starting to ramp up, and they he basically he backed off it a little bit and then was able to, to ramp it up again. I, I think the whole goal was to have him on his feet at the end of the season. I mean, you talk about counting innings and an, and an innings limit. That was the big story in 2012 coming off Tommy John surgery. But what is he's thrown less than 30 innings over the last two years. So if he started opening day, uh, it's hard-pressed, even though he's in his 30s now, to say, oh, you're going to go from – 20 innings over two years to 180 innings in one year. So uh, I think this allows them uh, just just taking their time, the ability to kind of let this be a transition year when you're not in contention, for him to be you know clear of mind that yes I can I can come back and be good. But then physically you look forward to, to 2023 being there opening day and saying I can now pitch a full season as I did in 2019. So that that's the end result. You know keeping you know getting him on his feet here keeping him that way for the rest of the season, even if you have to manage workloads and, and, and you know, come with some outings so shorter than you might think or that maybe a, a veteran pitcher would, would deserve to go deeper in games and say, you know what, we're, gonna, we're looking at the big picture here. We want you to be able to pitch in September of this season so that you go into the offseason just focused on, on training and not rehabbing something and be ready to go next year. So I've got really three categories, Dave, and Dave Jagler on Grant and Danny with us here on The Fan. As far as the rebuild goes and the roster moving forward, I've got what I consider to be your young stud building blocks. I've got guys that are going to be here because of contract regardless. And then I'll say like possible stud young players who are really good and at the minor league level. And among them, I'll go Soto, Gray, Kbert Ruiz, and Luis Garcia as your building blocks. And Garcia hasn't necessarily shown that at the big league level, but I think he can hit. I don't think he can play shortstop. I think he's probably going to end up at second base. But I think he might hit enough, particularly as a second division team starting next year, to be in that category. Then you got Strasburg and Corbin, who are your, they're going to be here in your rotation starting every fifth day. They're paid as much to do so. And then you've got maybe like a Cavalli, Cole Henry type group, Matt Cronin at the minor leagues. Am I missing anyone that you would say has kind of moved into, hey, this is someone who's probably going to be here for the next few years and when they're good again is going to be a part of the fabric? Well, no, I mean, I th- you hit, obviously, the, the big names. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're taking a look at this kid, uh, Evan Lee, who's up here for, for a time. You know, is he a piece? I think you've got to look at some of the relievers who are still under uh, you know, club-friendly deals, whether that's, uh, you know, Finnegan Rainey. But, the, I mean, the big prospect that they have uh, is a couple of years away, but he, you hope, is going to be here fairly quickly, and that's Brady House. I mean, House has obviously done a pretty good job in, in low A ball this year. You know, is this, is this two years away? Is this three years away? You're looking at him as being a big power bat. And then you've got the number five pick in the draft this year. If you're able to get a, you know, a college bat, maybe he's, he's on the come here in a, in a year or two. So uh, I think you hit the, the high points there. I mean, we've talked about this. I know you have on your show. The worst place to be is in last place and be an older team. You're starting to see now uh, with, with Garcia's arrival and hopefully you know, Cavalli may be here in a couple of weeks and Henry not far behind the second half of the season is going to be more interesting because while you may be in last place, you're looking at the future instead of looking at guys who are just placeholders. Jags, I want to ask you about Juan Soto. I would have lost every dollar uh, that I would have wagered uh, if you told me that you know, 60 games into the season, Victor Robles would have a higher batting average or he'd be tied with Lane Thomas in that very same category. What have you seen from Soto? There have been great moments, obviously, those you know homers in Cincinnati notwithstanding, but just generally it looks like he's trying to hit the five-run home run every time to me, or, or not every time, but an awful lot as sort of the walls are coming around him. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've seen that a lot. We've, we've talked about his chase rate being up and the frustration that he's had with umpires that, that in the past he would be 100% right, but this year it's been more like 50% right. <laughs> he's been arguing calls that, that are in the strike zone. So you know, I, don't, I don't know 
you know, obviously he's had elite plate discipline ever since we've seen him, but uh, that's been a little bit off uh, so far this year. And I think probably just the, uh, the feeling of, you know, I, I've got to come through. I mean, the, the batting average with runners in scoring position is the mind. He's been hitting under 100 all season with runners in scoring position. That's why he's sitting on 21 RBIs with 12 home runs. So, yeah, while there's been some nice moments where, okay, this is the game. You know, he hit a couple. It's a couple home runs to left field. All right, he's going to come out of it. Well, the next game, he's back to rolling over ground balls on the right side. So, to me, it's been uh, you know kind of a, a mental thing as much as anything physical, trying to do too much, frustration of, of the way the club has been losing, and oh, I've got to be the guy to pull us out of it and hit that five-run home run. I, I think you hit the, the nail exactly on the head. We're seeing a lot of that, and, and I know they're, they're trying to, to tell him, well, he's, he's Take your walks is Davey Martinez's favorite quote. He's still taking his walks, but he, he's, he has gotten himself out far more than we're used to seeing by chasing pitches that are not in the strike zone. Alcantara did it to him twice last night in his first two at-bats when he was in hitter's counts, which is not something you would normally see. Jags, Jags what do you think of Josiah Gray so far this season? 24 years old, fairly new still to pitching. Last time out, five innings, no runs last night against the Marlins. No, I, I think it's been a, it's been a good season. You, you mentioned him as being a, a key piece. Now, is he going to be a front of the rotation guy? I mean, you know, could he grow into that? He's not there yet, but he is definitely a serviceable piece to to be a guy who you can count on to make thirty starts and 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 be a guy to win double digit games for you. I, I like what I see. Is there improvement that needs to be made? Yes. I, I like the fact that he actually threw seven or eight changeups last night. You know, to me, he's kind of he's fallen in love with the breaking ball, and and with good reason. He misses a lot of bats with it, but. That was Yoan Adone's problem. He wouldn't throw his changeup. To, to get big league hitters out three and four times a night, you need that third pitch, uh, or, or you know, in, in Gray's case, the fourth pitch, because the curve and the slider are so similar. You know, his fastball is good. His breaking ball is good. If he can get that changeup, and, and Strasburg is working with him as far as watching his bullpen sessions, if he can get that changeup locked in, I think he'll take a step forward. There's a lot of good. Uh, the issue is still the home run ball. If he can curtail that, You've got the makings of a very good starting pitcher. Jax, keeper Ruiz, you know, power hasn't come yet. I think it will. Bat to ball is too good. He doesn't strike out, and that's, you know, sort of ahead of his years there in that regard. I think batting average will come and everything like that. I've been wildly impressed with him behind the dish. I, I think he's a better receiver maybe than, than we had heard, but obviously throwing runners out, he's been unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I've been really, really impressed with him. Just what's, what's the vibe like just in terms of his handling of the pitching staff and kind of growing into the role? Yeah, no, no, the vibe is good that, that, that they have their catcher here going forward. I mean, we, you know, obviously the Nationals have done it with veteran catchers, you know, stop gaps here recently, be it the Weeders, Gomes, Suzuki, ever since they, they traded for Ramos when he was just a, a puppy with the Minnesota Twins. So I, I think they feel like they've got their guy going forward. I think there have been a few growing pains as far as him, you know, getting the game plan, which is so much a part of the game these days, and following the game plan. Uh, so there's some growing pains there. But the receiving skills are there. The throwing arm is there. And, and again, like you said, I think the, the power will come. So uh, that, that, you know, the fact that you are solid up the middle, you hope, with your catching position is a, is a huge plus. Dave Jagler on Grant and Danny. By the way, Kbert Ruiz, even though on the season you know, he's hitting two fifty five, an expected batting average of three seventeen, and that's 98th percentile in baseball. And if you look at his strikeout rate, it's also in the top few percent in Sub all 10%. the game. 9.4% K rate is 98th percentile in the big league. So there's a lot to like about the young 23-year-old at the plate as well. Jags, one more I wanted to sneak in. You mentioned Cavalli maybe within the next couple of weeks. He's gone seven innings in his last two starts, which is yep. an awesome sign. He's completely turned what was a pretty disappointing start to the year at AAA around. He had 10 strikeouts last time out. What's your thought just kind of generally as a guy who's been around baseball a long time? Like calling someone up right in the middle of some momentum, or it always seems like it's just funny how it works out. Like guys get called up while they're slumping because it's just when you need them. But I love the idea if he was able to turn in another really good outing in AAA, just keeping him on his day or close to it, and while he's rolling, calling him up and, and indoctrinating him that way. But what do you make of when we could see him and, and how that might work out? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. He, he had a real clunker like four starts ago where he didn't make it out of the first inning, and then it's almost like he flipped a switch. And the last three have been arguably his best three starts of the year. So I think kind of like what I was talking about with, with Gray and Adone, uh, they want to see him incorporate that, that change up, and that's the final piece. We know the arm is electric, the fastball is electric. 
But to get big league hitters out, I mean, we've watched it the first two nights with the Marlins starting pitchers. Uh, Cabrera, who's you know kind of Sandy Alcantara light, and Sandy Alcantara, who's the best pitcher that, that I've seen this season, uh, th- those guys have outstanding change-ups, and they throw it a lot. Uh, that can be an equalizer against righties and lefties. And, you, you know, you can't just come up here and try to blow everybody away. Uh, you've got to have a little bit of that finesse. Uh, that's what Strasburg figured out uh, and, and why he was successful. And if Cavalli can uh, can show the organization that that change-up is a viable weapon, I think he'll be here and he'll probably be here pretty soon. Jags, thank you as always, buddy. Have a great call tonight. All right, looking forward to it. Mary Strasburg, boys. Dang, zoom. Thanks to Dave Jagler for hopping on Bussin' Loose Baseball with us. Uh, he is a regular with us on Grant and Danny in D.C., our flagship show on the flagship station, 106.7 The Fan. Speaking of interviews, though, we wanted you to hear our conversation with Lane Thomas, who was a pretty cool dude. A little dry at first, maybe a little nervous, or didn't know the guy. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. He's intimidated by us, I'm sure. And very much so. I would be intimidated as well. It's like a 60 minutes interview, very hot light over top of him. Uh, but he opened up, and we had a lot of fun with him. Ended up being a lot of fun and a good interview and really, really good dude. This was Lane Thomas, the Nats outfielder who's been on a heater. Lane Thomas has six home runs on the season. OPS creeping up now to 700. And those six home runs were made possible by a three-homer game he just had in Cincinnati as part of a 7-for-14 stretch. He is hitting 320 in his last seven games for the Nationals, and he joins us. Lane, after those three homers and then the multi-hit game one day later, I guess you didn't want to leave Cincinnati, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's close to home. You know, I've played in that ballpark quite a bit, and, you know, it's a little – Ball ball kind of flies there. It's a little easier to, to hit one out. So I was glad I got I put a, put a few good swings on him. What was BP like? Were you doing like a move them up round, and those were going out too? Like when do you know that you're locked in different than maybe a normal uh, a normal afternoon? Man, I don't think you know. I think it just kind of shows up, you know, in the game. I think it's yeah. I've definitely had days where I feel great, and then you know it doesn't go so well, and then days you you feel bad and it goes well. So I think it just kind of you know whatever that day. Dave brings you. Game two of the Cincinnati series, Lane Thomas hit three home runs in a three-for-five performance. Have you ever hit three home runs in a game at any level? I did it in AAA in 19 um, against uh, in Oklahoma City. Similar kind of performance where it was the first three at-bats or, or close to it? Like, did they play out comparably? Yeah, I think I was or maybe I was maybe oh for my first at bat, kind of same thing, and then I did it my next three, and then I got double switched in like the I don't know seventh or eighth inning. You got taken out of the game. You hit three home runs in. Yep, got taken out of the game. I hit three home runs in in AAA. Yep. Why did that happen? No idea. Because <laughs> it's not, <laughs> and it's also it's not like you're a guy who can't play defense. Yeah, or I something. would question that managerial acumen there. Don't I don't remember exactly what it was. I don't know if we were like. Down, I don't know. It didn't make sense to me either. But <laughs> but you didn't, didn't have a chance at four. I just I, I took the three homers and went inside and, and took my cleats off and put tennis shoes on. So <laughs> you had a chance at a fourth, I think, in Cincy, right? Um, yes, actually, yeah, I got the last at that and then kind of flew out. Was it on cover. your mind? Like everyone always says, I've never tried to hit a home run. I mean, you had to be in that at bat. Oh, for sure. Yeah, the whole dugout was telling me. It was like, you know, you got, you're on house money now. You got to try, you know. <laughs> That's so fun. Lane Thomas with us here on G&D. You feel comfortable in D.C. yet? I mean, it's such a, a strange thing, you know. It's like kind of – it's sort of pandemic and it sort of wasn't. I don't know, whatever you want to call it, 2021. It was such a weird thing and, and, and an odd time. And now you kind of gone through spring training here. Does it feel like home? Yeah, I think I'm definitely getting getting familiar with it. You know, I've, I've lived in the Navy Yard the last few uh, – seasons and it's just you know it's a great little area by the stadium some good restaurants and and back to the COVID stuff man I feel like it's you know if you don't watch the news I feel like it, it everything seems pretty normal you know true yeah especially Seriously. at this point just, now you, know, you walk yeah, into I a restaurant like, rules are yeah, back to normal absolutely what's your so, go-to yeah. spots in the neighborhood um you know obviously we grocery shop there at the, at the Harris Teeter and uh, my fiance. She's a Starbucks queen, so she's uh, she gives them a lot of business. So I try to stay away from that. She can she can buy the coffee, and I'll get it at the field. You know. Are you so? Are you but, a coffee? Are you a coffee guy in the morning? You one of those dudes that, like doesn't need it? 
I definitely have, will have a cup in the morning, but I, I'm pretty sensitive to, to caffeine, so I try not to drink a bunch of it, you know. On a game day, what's your normal routine like? Like, when do you show up and what are you doing from when you get to the ballpark to, to when you're in the lineup for first pitch? You know, I usually I usually wake up and try to eat breakfast. I know some guys sleep till noon, but I usually get up, you know, nine thirty, ten o'clock, and at least eat something, and you know, maybe walk with her to Starbucks, and then whatever time of the game, however early we're there, I don't know, four to five hours earlier, uh, you know, just get there, eat lunch. You know, if I have something bother me, I'll go see the trainers, or you know, maybe lift if it's a, if it's the right day. So there's a lot of stuff you can do. You know, what's your ideal breakfast situation in the morning? Um, I don't really cook breakfast a whole lot. I usually, there's a place up the street. I don't know what the street's called. Maybe like 8th Street or 18th Street or something. And it's like, there's a Ted Bulletin's and then a, a little bagel shop I go to all the time. It's like, uh, call your mother. Oh, the, both outstanding recommendations, by the way. One makes their own Pop-Tarts oh. in-house. The other, bagel sandwiches to die for. You, oh, yeah, incredible. You got a good palate. Lane Thomas with us here. On G and D, so I have a couple of good friends who are St. Louis guys, and they both, you know, when 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 the trade happened, uh, both you know spoke glowingly of you. Said you're, you're going to get to know this guy; he's an awesome dude. Just had a kind of a it was a little bit stuck at times in in St. Louis, maybe kind of a crowded outfield. Did you feel that way that you were kind of a little bit stuck and and almost what what was it like when when you got the call that you'd been traded to to a place you might have an opportunity to play a lot? Yeah, um, I think it's a tough thing when I was there because like. I was on some good teams, so part of you is like, you know what, I'm accepting this role, and I want to just do the best I can at, you know, defense and base running and the stuff that I was asked to do or pinch hitting. And then a part of you is like, you know what, I can like, I can play every day. I'm still 25 years old. You know, I don't want to get stuck in this, you know, coming off the bench every night. You know, but like I said, part of you is like, you know what, I can do this too. So, so I think I was grateful for that opportunity because I was a part of the, you know some really good teams they had there. And then, you know, getting here, it was like it, it just goes back to the part where it's like, you know, deep down, you got to always believe in yourself that you you have an opportunity to play, you know, more than once or twice a week. So, um, I think it's just two different situations, and you know, I'm definitely grateful for both of them. But you know, you, there, there's different ways to look at look at them, I guess. Especially early in your career. I mean, now being just 26, I would feel like I hate to say the priority is like getting your opportunity over winning, but getting to play every day, even if it's in Washington where they're rebuilding or you're not filling the ballpark, as opposed to playing competitive games in St. Louis every few days in front of 40,000 people, like you're at a point of your development where you need to play to some extent. I, I have to feel like it was still a net win or like a godsend for you just to kind of leave that winning situation to come here where you actually get at-bats. Yeah, and I think I think um, any organization or team, and obviously like we're still – you know, wanting to win every game we play, you know, that's still the most important thing. And I think that's that's how you have success is trying to win games, not trying to just go out and selfishly get four hits a game. You know what I mean? But also, if you get four hits a game, you're you know, it probably helps the team win. <laughs> but I think it's just trying to keep in the right mindset and and just just doing your part and being a good teammate. What have you kind of sought this year in terms of personal goals? I know you mentioned obviously winning games is great, and four hits a night would be awesome if you want to just do that. And, you know, get yourself five hundred hits over yeah, the course yeah. of a season. But what were your kind of your personal goals here that you wanted to get better at heading into this year, and 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 kind of where are you at on on those metrics? Um, yeah, I think I think it's always good to set set some some goals for yourself and as a team, and you know, as a as a teammate. Um, I don't have anything specific, but I just wanted to kind of build off last year. And, and there was some defense stuff that I wanted to get better at. And um, I knew there was a chance that I would kind of bounce back and forth between, you know, center and, and left. And um, I just wanted to be a solid defender because I think, you know, the offense stuff, is it, it's a tough thing to be good at. So I think, um, you know, hits come and go, but you can always be a good defender. He's Lane Thomas. We're Grant and Danny. How different is the defensive outfield roles of playing center and left? I mean, you undulate night in and night out just reading the ball off the bat, some of those things. I get the sense for the average baseball fan that the assumption is, well, he's an all-world athlete, and he's just tracking balls, and he's been doing that since he was a kid. But there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I don't think it's, it's much about getting the quickest read as it is the right read, if that makes sense, off the bat. I think a lot of people are worried about, like, oh, his first step's good. Well, you know, if, I, if your first step is good, but it's the wrong first step, I think then it's not, you know, then it's, then it's not, not as good. Um, so that's something that I've been working on, working on with, uh, with, with EY. Um, and just, you know, I, I think I said this previously, maybe with you guys or, or someone last year that 
you know, after the season, I just wanted to know what I was good at, what I wasn't good at defensively, and, and kind of worked on some stuff. So my agent kind of got together with a with a stat guy that you know worked for them, and, and kind of just just was honest with me and just said, you know what, this, this is what what I would work on, you know, and I just took it took it and, and did that. Stat guy that works for the Nats, like you mean the analytics R and D guys? No, I, I, my agency has a guy who you know I guess I don't know what they actually use him for, but they. Um, I don't know if it's scouting or, you know, getting some stuff off the analytic stuff for, for guys they're looking at or, or guys, you know, in my situation that, that wanted to, to learn some stuff. I just want to picture him with huge glasses and like a pocket protector and a calculator and some spreadsheets. Like, is, is that fair? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a that's a fair assumption. <laughs> well, what people sleep on, Lane, is that cor- those corner outfield spots, there's so many tricky things. Like, obviously, you know, playing caroms, balls that are down the line, the opposite hand like a lefty like looks like he's out in front or gets jammed and then there's some carry to it. It's just it's weird there. Did you grow up playing corner outfield spots or is that something that you kind of had to learn? Um I didn't I didn't necessarily grow up playing there. I, you know, occasionally in the minor league, mm-hmm. you know, I would play play there, but you know, obviously mainly I played center field, so um but I'm definitely getting more more comfortable on the left. I feel like I've played there more this year than center obviously, so um I think you know, the longer you do something, the more comfort, comfortable you're going to get obviously. You're from Knoxville, yeah? Mm-hmm, yep. I'm wondering if you care about uh, college baseball at all. Tennessee is just a, a wagon. They're nasty. Uh, and I know you oh. got drafted where you, in 2014 by the Blue Jays in the fifth round, so I, I don't know what the college recruiting process was like for you, but, man, are they good. Oh, they're unbelievable. Um, I, was, I was committed there um, in high school. When I, uh, one of my best friends, and, and yeah, he's still, still one of my best friends, uh, Kyle Serrano was Dave Serrano's son. He was the head coach, so. Uh, me, Kyle, and like Nixon Zell uh, with the Reds, we're we're all still really close. Like they'll they'll both be in my wedding this off season. So, um, you know, we we had a pretty good group going there. And you know, it, it kind of stunk that I didn't get to go because I thought it would be pretty cool to get to play with those guys. But um, you know, and then after Dave left, you know, Vitello came and he's been unbelievable. I think the, the players he's been getting in there, it's pretty pretty crazy. If you don't throw one hundred and one or hit to the ball to the second deck, you can't play for them. Oh, it's crazy! I know it's unbelievable. Well, uh, yeah, he, he, what's cool too is man, he lets um, he lets us use the facility and um, be around the guys. So I think that's that's been cool for us too, is just being able to to, to use that full facility in the off season. Well, Lane, I'm obviously much older than you and washed up and pudgy and, and gross to look at, but I, I remember the era of baseball when it was like a huge deal if one team had a guy that would throw 95. Like, come out of the bullpen, he was like the feared guy with the low-brimmed hat and was real intimidating. Now, like, soft-tossing lefties throw 95. And it's gotten even into the college level, to Grant's point. I mean, there's that there's that dude at Tennessee throwing a buck 05. It's unbelievable, the, the velocity. Did, when did you notice that jump, like, when you were coming up? Because I feel like it's within the last decade that it just everybody throws hard now. Yeah, I feel like I was just kind of part of it, you know, like mm-hmm. – in whatever year I was drafted, 14, it was like, you know, they're just, it's unbelievable how many guys, you know, just throw hard that, you know, some throw strikes, some don't, you know, but they all throw the same right. velocity thing. So, yeah, it's been wild. I was actually sitting in a double header during the COVID year. I think it was 2020, and uh, Yachty was not playing, and we were kind of where they made us sit in the stands, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking to him, and he was like telling me how, like, I don't know, the year he debuted, the average fastball was like, and don't quote me on these numbers, but it was like, you know, 89.5 and then, or like maybe even less than that. And then like that same year, the average fastball was like 94 point something, you know, it was just <laughs> yeah. crazy. That on a, the average fastball has gone up, you know, five, six miles an hour. And, you know. I just don't know how people years. hit. Like, I, I, and how I does mean, anyone hit? I, I don't get it. I know it's it's a lot of times people don't. I mean, there was a lot of no hitters and stuff. But two seamers are breaking like left-handed curveballs. Now the the cutters, all the, the different stuff, the looks these guys give it, and they're throwing it over 100 miles an hour. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it really is unbelievable. I think a guy that they're, it's tough to face, uh, and they're both pretty similar. I think is uh, Alcantara, and then the dude with the Reds uh, who we faced the last day, Castillo. Uh, Castillo. Yeah, it's like man, you, you look at a fastball that you're swinging at. 95 percent of the time it's right down the middle and then like you know when it gets to the plate it's you know it's hitting off the label and you're getting jammed it's like it's a tough uh it's a tough game for sure and and i feel like as a scouting and 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 watching video and the guys it's like you you really have to know your stuff and have a good approach towards guys like that because you know if you don't you go in there and swing it you know what you think is a straight fastball and then you ground out three times to short you know 
but would you rather deal with velocity or, or like great breaking stuff? Like, would you rather hit off 102 or someone who's got one of the better curves in the game or something? I just feel like nowadays they both, most guys have both. Yeah, both. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Like, yeah. You know, I don't even have an answer to that. I feel like you have to respect both pitches for most guys nowadays, you know? Are you, uh, just, you mentioned being prepared. And I, I, to me, again, if someone's got 102 or a filthy slider or kind of whatever it is, as you mentioned, everybody's stuff is just so good. I, people call it guessing. I, I think it's, you know, educated research and patterns, right? Are, are you a guess guy? I mean, again, I don't have a better word for it than that, but I feel like you've got to sit on something. I mean, unless, to, you know, until you get to two strikes, but I feel like there's got to be some sort of plan and that's got to lead to some action there, right? Yeah, I feel like it's, uh, it's not really guessing. It's almost just, you know, doing, doing some research. And it's obviously easy if you've faced guys before, but like, understanding where stuff's going to start and where it's going to finish. And you know what I mean? Like the fastball and the curveball and where, where you're anticipating this pitch to start and knowing, uh, knowing that kind of stuff. So that, that's stuff that I work on is just, you know, getting in the cage and swinging at some, some breaking balls and, and, and seeing it at, at the normal velo, if that makes sense. Lane Thomas with us on Grant and Danny. Now, you mentioned the wedding coming up this off season. Where are we at in wedding planning and how involved are you? Um. I told her I wanted two things. I said I don't. I want like a, a cigar, a little whiskey bar for the guys to hang out, and I want a sit down dinner. Or I'm sorry, I don't want a sit down dinner because I feel like you know you sit down, and it's just kind of a waste of time. I feel like people can eat when they're hungry, kind of thing. So those are my two requests, and she has done everything else. I like that idea about the sit down dinner. Obviously, like food Does that and weddings, stations is always good. or what does that well, mean? Just, yeah, like it's at a buffet style, or people eat when yeah, they want. Just like, yeah. just like an upscale buffet, you yeah. Know, people can go eat and sit somewhere else, but you know, no one needs to sit down for an hour and a half and have a ten course meal. You know, because the party loses momentum. Special. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, it, like exactly. it's long speeches and, then, and stuff. Totally. Well, you have your group you hang out with, and then everybody else that comes. It's like mm-hmm. you can't hang out with everybody, and nobody wants to sit in a suit and stuff for five hours and not really even talk to anybody. So I just feel like, you know what, we'll, we'll make this a little shorter and, and, and some good food and, and enjoy the party. And then, you know, end it there. <laughs> Cigar lounge, like a bus outside or you like a room in the facility, you think? You know, I don't even know. I think after the season, I think we're going to go check out the venue. She's obviously already been, but I've never even been to this area. We're going to like uh Santa Rosa uh, beach, Florida. So oh, wow. 30 in that whole area. Yeah, her parents have are uh, they've got a house down there and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's how she she picked it. Band or DJ? Um, I think she got a band. It's a great choice. It's a good way to do it. Yeah. Live oh, band. Yeah. Yep, yep. I'm excited. Who who's going to be the the worst of the nationals that might come? Who's going to be the worst dancer there? Do you think? The worst dancer. Um, I feel like probably Josh Rogers. I feel like he—that's <laughs> a lock. I don't want to say I don't want to say worse, but just maybe the wrong style. You know what I mean? The least good. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Who will be the worst dressed? Oh man, that's a tough one. Man, I, hopefully I'll dress pretty well. I feel like I'll have. Uh, I think I don't think she'll let anybody wear anything too crazy. <laughs> it would have been funny if he said Josh. If Rogers it was Rogers again. again, yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, that's also Josh. A, a bolo Rogers. tie with a, with a barbecue stain on it. We had him on the show a couple yeah. weeks ago. He's hilarious. We really like talking yeah. to him. Yeah, he's a funny dude, man. We get along well. Well, stay hot. It's been awesome seeing this series. What you just pulled off, and, and the three homer game was one of the highlights of the year so far as a Nats fan. Thank you for the time, and we appreciate you. Enjoy uh, South Beach these next few days. Awesome guys, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Bang, zoom. How about Lane Thomas on Bustin' Loose Baseball? Showing a little personality. We dig that. All right, let's bring in our producer, Darius Dameron. Before we get out of here, we always give out a superlative on this second episode of the week, and he will read one of your reviews. Remember, if you want a shout-out, all you got to do is say something nice about us. We trade shout-outs for you making complimentary nice posts about us when you review the podcast wherever you get your audio. So let's start with our superlative of the week this week. Darius, what are we going with? All right, so our superlative of the week, who would make the best movie star once their career is over? Give, give me one Washington National player who would make the best movie star. This is actually not that easy. I'm basically thinking this person is just handsome and smiling. Maybe not the best actor, but I'm thinking of a dude that can absolutely look the part and maybe be one of those guys that like just mutters his lines like Vin Diesel does. 
K-Bear Ruiz is a handsome dude. He is handsome. K-Bear Ruiz has a good headshot right there on, uh, if you look at baseball reference, go to the to the Nats uh, page. I've, I haven't heard him, you know, chatter. I haven't heard him, like, in, in extensive interviews or anything like that. I'm just thinking of a guy, all I got to do is talk like that. And, like, that's his line for, like, the next five minutes, and there's, like, an action scene with an explosion. K-Bear Ruiz. I actually have a great answer, and I hate to be a jerk, but it's going to be better than any of the other answers. Oh, okay. Victor Robles is the answer. Victor Robles. You ever seen him almost get hit by a pitch? He acts like he died. Yeah. You ever see him get hit by <laughs> a pitch? Action star. Mm-hmm. He actually acts really well. Like, we have seen it. When you almost hit him, he ends up 15 feet from home plate, still, like, trying to catch his balance. Whoa! If you, God forbid, do hit him, which does happen, occasionally, it's like you, you, you hope he's going to survive the hit by pitch. I think there's a Daniel Day Robles ability to him. Where the guy can actually act. He's got some chops. So I'm going to say my guy, Victor Robles, most likely national to be a movie star after his career. He's also jacked. Have you ever seen him in like a muscle shirt? Yeah, the dude is pretty jacked. ripped. Holy crap. Yeah. Um, I mean, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to go with Sean Doolittle. I think Sean Doolittle has the charisma, has the uh, has the, the, the chops, the, the ability mm. to talk to people. I think that he can also... Turn that into an acting career, like a character actor. Yeah, like he's yeah. deep into the role. But he he'd be he a lived comedy. It. Maybe he'd be actor. more improv. Maybe maybe that would be more. What I, so I like Robles, like... I'm imagining in some type of action film, and I would say K. Bert Ruiz similarly. I think Doolittle, who has been comped to Seth Rogen before, mm-hmm. I think he would be in a comedy where it's like a dry delivery, where he's like, I don't know exactly what his line would be, but right. it would be delivered in a way where it's kind of understated and funny. See, but, here's what I would say. I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. So I, I feel like Doolittle. Would want the lived experience, like let's say he's playing uh, like a, a a world traveler that like made his way across the country via the railroad, like hitching a ride. He would do that for six months, like live the truth of the person. You know what I mean? He'd be like, he'd be like, I mean, I just want to know what that guy smells like. Is that called like. a method actor? Yeah, and like what the what the what book story he would like. He would like live that when Daniel and deliver Day Lewis was a Blinken for like two months. He would never break the character. The reason that tragically we lost our guy Heath Ledger forever. Because he became the Joker yeah, in like, real life. Locked himself into a motel room and concocted the laugh. I think Doolittle would do that sort of thing. He would dive into the craft of acting. Darius, why don't you give us our comment of the week on where where are you doing it from? Uh, this iTunes? will be from yeah, this will be from iTunes or Apple Podcast, as the kids call it nowadays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, another five star review. We just got to thank the Let's people. Let's go. The, the great people. Look at the thoughts. who drop five stars review. Five star reviews. This one's from Yvonne. Uh, it's titled "Love This Podcast." Mm. Absolutely loving this podcast. I look forward to it week in and week out around the Daily Show. I love the Grant and Danny discourse, and they both have tons of obscure and common stats that I crave. Fantastic interviews filled with great info and fun stories. Keep it up, guys. Thank you, Yvonne. Hey, Thank you. Hey, Let's go. Pudge, we miss you. What a review. Is it Yvonne like Pudge Rodriguez, like Ivan? Or no, is it... no. It's spelled E-V-V-O-O-N. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's, not, it's not Pudge. So just not calling Pudge fastballs or runners on so okay. we can throw dudes out. Very right. good. Be like Yvonne. Leave a five-star review, say something nice, and we will shout you out on the show. Pretty simple. That's how it works. Thanks for listening to Bustin' Loose Baseball, Episode 10. We will be back early next week. For Darius and Danny, I'm Grant saying so long. Go Nats.